Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. And good evening. My name is Howie Silbiger and this is the Howie Silbiger Show Right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you being here. I am happy to be here with you. It is always exciting to get on the air and and talk about current events and stuff that's happening, stuff that's on my mind. I'm sure if I'm thinking about it, you are too. This is uh, generally the way it works. So if I'm thinking about something, in, in general, you're thinking about the same stuff that I'm thinking about. Uh, so there's a couple of things that uh, that have happened since the last time we had the pleasure of being here together. Um, and, uh, and, and I'd like to talk to you about them because, uh, because I think they're important to talk about. And, and one of those things is, um, is the, is the recent departure of Tucker Carlson on Fox News. And, uh, the reason I want to talk about this is not that I, I personally care if Tucker Carlson is working or not. It, it is actually irrelevant to me. His show was entertaining to watch, but that's pretty much it. That was pretty much my connection with the show. Is that I found it entertaining. Uh, I find a lot of stuff entertaining, and you know some of the entertaining stuff. In fact, most of the entertaining stuff on television gets canceled pretty quickly. Uh, the the problem I have with the Tucker Carlson um, cancellation, the cancellation of his show and subsequent firing of him, is the gleefulness being shown by the by by the people who opposed what he had to say. Now now these people call themselves liberals, which which shocks me most of the time. When somebody refers to themselves as a liberal and then applauds when a voice is silenced. When I was young, so much younger than today, as the Beatles would say, uh, I, I remember that liberals used to stand up for freedom of speech. They used to stand up for the rights of people to express their opinion. And this is what liberalism was all about. Uh, liberals were, would, would fight, fight to the death for, for people to be able to express their opinions openly and freely. The, the, the saying that I may, I may detest what you say, but I will fight to my dying breath to defend your right to say it, was the mantra for, for 50 years uh, of liberalism, uh, of people yelling and screaming uh, that we can't censor and we shouldn't censor and everybody should be exposed to all sorts of ideas and everybody has to remember that, uh, that, that you know, everybody's different and everybody has different ideas and all these ideas are legitimate. And this was the mantra for years as I grew up. This is the mantra that was repeated over and over again by all the liberals who surrounded me. I grew up in a very liberal neighborhood. With all the liberals who surrounded me, this was their mantra, that we support the freedom of expression. We support the rights of people to talk and to express themselves freely and openly. And we understand that everybody has different opinions and that these opinions are all legitimate. And this is what I was told as a kid growing up. But uh, that's not what it is today. Unfortunately, that's not what it is today. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but uh, Tucker Carlson expressed a, an opinion which was probably contrary to, uh, to many, many people. And he expressed it well. He was very articulate and he, he, has, he has a good way of, of expressing himself in a very entertaining way to, to, to express his ideas. 
and the show was very popular. Three point five million viewers is 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 an unbelievable amount of people watching one show every single night. And the gleefulness of the people uh, celebrating the man's loss of a job, the man's uh, loss of his platform. This is this is this is something to be celebrated. Once again, if you don't like something that somebody says, especially in media, you have the right, in fact, it's your obligation, turn it off. You don't have to watch it. You don't have to worry about somebody influencing somebody else. And this seems to be, this seems to be the case today, uh, in today's, today's day and age, is that everybody feels that they have to police everybody else. You don't have to be the police officer. You don't have to be the guy who's, who's going to stand there and say, stop, you're thinking wrong. You don't have to be the thought police. And choosing to be the pl- thought police or wanting to be the thought police is pretty narcissistic. What makes you think that your opinion is any more valid than anybody else's opinion? What makes you think, even for a second, that you know more than everybody else knows or that you have a better understanding of uh, some topic that, that anybody else does. Because the truth is you don't. And the truth is there's always someone out there who's smarter than you, always someone out there who's more knowledgeable than you, and always somebody out there who's willing to take you on. Always, They're always there. Howie Silberger, this is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. You could feel free to call in uh, as we are live right now uh, on a, on a um, Wednesday night at 9.20 p.m. We are live. You could feel free to call in. The number to call, one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 That's the number to call in to get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Now, we haven't been on for uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, as I've explained in previous shows, I am um, I am dealing with a, a, a fairly serious medical condition, and um, and it's it's kept me off the air for a few weeks. Uh, I, I'm hoping to be able to get back on a little more often. Um, I will I'll keep trying. Uh, so I, I get on as as often as I can. Uh, so here I am. We're here, and we are uh, we are on the air. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much. I'm not going to any details about uh, about what's going on. It's none of your business. So I'm not going to get into any details about what's going on. Just that uh, uh, it's coming to a resolution. We're coming to the end of this thing. So um, so as we come to the end of this, you'll see me on the air much more often. Uh, we are planning on covering the Just for Last Festival this year. This is uh, something we've done every year for the last 20 years, and uh, we plan to continue covering and being a partner with the Just for Last Festival. That's coming up in July, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, immensely. I'm looking forward to uh, covering. I'm looking forward to Sheldon coming back and, and covering some of the shows and uh, and um, and doing our reports and doing the stuff that we normally do uh, with the Just for Last Festival. Uh, <clears throat> Today was Yom Hatzmut. It was the uh, celebration of the creation of the State of Israel. Uh, I am not a Zionist, and as many people have listened to the show and many people have watched the show for, for, for years, for decades— will tell you that, uh, that my definition of Zionism is different than most people's definition of Zionism. Uh, my definition of Zionism is you can't be a Zionist if you're not living in Israel. Now, you could support Zionism, and I support the concept of Zionism. I support the idea of Zionism. I like the idea of, uh, of, of Jewish nationalism. I like the idea of an independent Jewish state run by Jews 
which could act as a Jewish refuge when Jews are being attacked elsewhere. Uh, I love the, the concept, but I myself am not a Zionist because I have not picked myself up and moved to Israel. It is impossible for me to consider myself a Zionist, not a Zionist even remotely, if I'm not living in Israel, or if I've never lived in Israel, or if I've never uh, considered moving to Israel. The idea that people consider themselves Zionists and live outside of the state of Israel is ludicrous because the entire concept of Zionism is Jews returning to their Jewish homeland, is Jews uh, believing, Jews supporting, Jews creating, and living in their Jewish homeland. If you're not living there, then you're not a Zionist. So I'm not a Zionist, but I support the concept of Zionism. I like the idea of Zionism. I think that... uh, I, I think that um, that the idea and the the concept of Zionism uh, works well uh, within the within the um, context of the Jewish religion, within the context of the Jewish communities in the diaspora. the um, The idea that there is a a, a Jewish homeland ha- has caused much strife around the world. But uh, I, I don't care what anyone else thinks. Uh, the reality is that the that that Jewish homeland is there. And we have the right to move there or visit there and go there anytime we please. And that is, uh, that is the most important aspect of this whole thing. Now, there are haters, and there will always be haters. There are Jewish haters, and there are, um, there are non-Jewish haters. There are, there are all sorts of haters, and the haters will exist whether we like them or not, whether we want them to exist or we don't want them to exist. The haters will continue to exist, and, uh, and, and it will be very difficult for us to, um, to, to rid the world of people who hate and so uh, how do we navigate the fact that, that the Jewish state exists, that the, the state of Jews exists, that, um, that we celebrate uh, on this day, we celebrate the fact that the, um, that the Jews coming out of a Holocaust were able to establish an independent state where they were able to have self-independence for the first time in millenniums? H- how, do you, how do you navigate this? How do you, how do you celebrate knowing that there are so many people out there who want to not only destroy the state of Israel— but destroy every Jew living around the world. There, there's, there's, there are people out there who, who want to kill every single Jew around the world. There, there are people living in Israel. There are people who are so-called peace partners with the state of Israel who's, who, who continuously, who continuously uh, promote the idea that Jews have to be killed around the world. Look, Hamas. Hamas's charter of you know the charter the creation charter specifically says that Jews you know, not not Israelis but Jews have to be destroyed around the world. Wait a second. So so the people who are sitting and discussing peace whatever that means with the state of Israel are also advocating for the genocide of the Jewish people. Of course they are. Of course, that's the hypocrisy of the peace movement in Israel. That's the hypocrisy of the, of the movement that claims that they, they want to come to some kind of peaceful resolution to the Arab-Israel problem. The truth of the matter is that none of the players in the Arab-Israel problem, in the Arab-Israel conflict, want to resolve it. And the reason they don't want to resolve it is quite simple. And, and we've gone over this before, but I'll go over it again because it is really quite simple. The reason the Arab-Israel conflict has not been resolved in the last 75 years is because one religion believes that the other religion is occupying their land. 
This is not a land war. This is a religious war. And until the players in the Middle East want to admit the fact that this is a religious war, the fighting will continue. The Quran specifically says that any time an Islamic caliphate has existed on a land, which means that an Islamic ruler had a country on a, on a piece of land, that country is forever Islamic land. And anybody who creates a state or a country on that land that is not an Islamic state or country is an infidel that must be destroyed. This, this is what the Quran says. It's in black and white in the Quran. Therefore, the state of Israel exists on land that was an Islamic caliphate called the Ottoman Empire. And therefore, the state of Israel sits on land that Islam claims to be Islamic forever. And because Islam claims that this is Islamic land forever, anybody who creates a country on Islamic land is an infidel, must be destroyed. Therefore, Israel must be destroyed. This explains why through many of the peace negotiations, where the Arabs wanted this land and that land and this piece of land and that piece of land and this city and that city, and he's really said, okay, the only thing we want from you is for you to declare the state of Israel a Jewish state. And the Arabs always walked away. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it because they can't accept a Jewish state on Islamic land. It's against their religion. So when, when the Israelis say, the only thing we want from you is, to, is for you to declare and recognize a Jewish state on, on this piece of land, they know full well that it's against the religion of the people they're negotiating with. It's a bad faith negotiation tactic because they know very well that the people that they're negotiating with could never accept that condition. And because they can't accept that, that condition, there could never be peace. So what is the advantage of being at war all the time? What advantage does Israel have of being at a constant war with its neighbors and a constant internal war with terrorism happening against its citizens, innocent people dying. What, what, what advantage does Israel have to this? It's not like the world is, is sympathetic to the Israeli cause. It's not like, uh, it's not like Belfast where, where, where they're being bombed and, and the shopping mall gets bombed um, in, the, in the 1980s. The shopping mall gets bombed and then the whole world turns and says, oh my gosh, look, uh, look how many people died. A shopping mall gets bombed in Israel and nobody cares. So what is the advantage of Israel keeping this charade going? I, I can't answer that question. And I've asked that question to many Israeli diplomats over the years, and nobody's been able to answer that question. There, there's probably some top-secret thing going on that, that, that generates money, and terrorism generates money, or generates some kind of advantage to Israel, but I'm not sure what it is. There's no strategic advantage to Israel allowing its citizens to be indiscriminately killed because they're Jewish. There's no political advantage to it, and there's definitely <laughs> there's def there's, def there's definitely no uh, population advantage to it. So I have no idea why they do that, and why they allow it. Israel in five in 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 an hour could take care of the Gaza problem. In an hour could take care of the problem on the West Bank. It wouldn't take more than an hour or a couple of hours with their heavy equipment and their heavy machinery and their heavy war machine. 
wouldn't take very long for them to clear out the 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 issue and, and stop the terrorism and 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 vacate the land that 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 is committing terror against the Israeli people. But they've chosen not to. Now, uh, I, I've I've said it before, and I, I will repeat it again because I, I actually believe it's true. And uh, and and I only try to speak the truth on this show. But it is an opinion show, and so uh, so my opinion is always biased. But I try to speak the truth, at least the truth to my opinion. I try to back it up with facts, as much fact as I can. The The truth of the matter is that Israel really should have dealt with this problem years and years and years ago. And they've chosen not to because there is a guilt syndrome. The, the state of Israel, the Jews living in the state of Israel, the Jews who founded the state of Israel, felt guilty that they survived the Holocaust. They felt guilty that they were the ones who came to Israel while their loved ones and their friends and their families and their towns were all burned in the ovens of Auschwitz. They felt guilty that they survived. It's a guilt syndrome. It's, 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 a, common, it's a common thing among survivors of traumatic events. And because of this guilt syndrome, Israel said they never want to be compared to the Nazis. So in their treatment of the people who are living in their land, who are destroying them, who are trying to destroy them, trying to kill them, they never want to commit anything, any kind of action against these people like the Nazis committed against the Jews. Now, now, just because the motivation is different and just because the, 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 the way that they would commit these kind, of, these kind of actions in Israel would be different than the way the Nazis did it, they didn't phase the, the founders of the state of Israel, and they decided that, that uh, they were just going to let this problem fester and let, and let future generations worry about it. Then in 1967, the oddest thing that was done was when the Temple Mount, the Har Habayt, the holiest site in Judaism, the site where our holy temple stood, was reclaimed and finally in Jewish hands after 2,000 years. The Israeli government immediately turned the land over to the Jordanian Waqf and gave them full autonomy on the land. Which means that the Jews who have strived and have prayed and have, and have begged God for, for, for millenniums to return us to Jerusalem prayed in vain. The Jewish state capitulated. They gave it up. A couple of weeks ago, just before Passover, a bunch of Arabs decided that they were going to sleep over in the Alaska Mosque, which is on the Temple Mount. And during their sleepover, during their slumber party, they decided to gather rocks and bricks and, uh, and all sorts of other projectiles that they were planning on throwing over the Western Wall, over the Kotel, onto the Jewish pray, pray, the Jews praying there. There's a lot of Jews who go and pray at the, at the Western Wall over, over Passover. And they wanted to throw these rocks over the wall and injure and kill as many Jews as they could who were praying at the wall. Now the Israeli army got wind of this and, uh, and, and broke into the Alaska Mosque and removed these people and removed all the stones and the guns and the ornaments and everything else that they had stockpiled there. And they got condemned, universally condemned by the entire world. Nobody condemned the fact that these terrorists were holed up in this mosque. The only thing that was condemned was that Israel pulled them out. 
Some newspapers called them worshipers. They weren't worshiping. They were, they were trying to kill. They were plotting. They were plotters, not worshipers. But they were called worshipers, and, uh, and Israel was stopping them from praying. Well, if throwing rocks at Jews is praying, well, that's what they were trying to do. But that's how warped the situation is. That's how, that's how, that's how Jewish life is worthless. So that story was splashed all over the front pages of, uh, of newspapers, and all sorts of governments around the world, including the Canadian government, condemned Israel for pulling terrorists out of a mosque, that, uh, terrorists that were planning on killing Jews out of a mosque. They were condemned for defending their own country. They were, defend, they were condemned for defending their own citizens. They were condemned for saving Jewish life. It's scary. It's scary, and this is why we have to say, thank God the state of Israel exists. This is why we have to say, thank God. There's, there's a country out there who is looking out for the safety of the Jewish people. Because if we left it up to the, to the holders of the lands that we live in, if we left it up to our hosts, because this is not our land, we're just guests here, if we left it up to our hosts, the people who, are, uh, who, have, who have hosted us for, for, for hundreds of years, the people who are actually telling us now that our welcome here has, uh, has that we've outstayed our welcome, if we left it to them, we would be all be killed. They, they, they wouldn't protect us at all. Why would they? If they could condemn the Israeli government for removing terrorists from a mosque, then there's no way they're going to stand up and defend the Jewish people. And so when Jews get attacked in North America, time and time again, we see the governments of the lands where we're attacked in turn a blind eye to the attackers. Give a slap on the wrist. Uh, don't do that again. Uh, oh, you're a bad boy. Go clean your room. These are the kind of punishments that are given out to these people. I remember in uh, 1998, so we're going back quite a few years, uh, one of the one of the uh, Jewish day schools in Montreal were were firebombed. The, the firebomb was it was also Passover time, and a firebomb was thrown through the window of the library of the school, and the school caught fire, and there was over a hundred thousand dollars worth of, of of damage done to the school. Now, um, it was it was uh, was it nine? No, it was two thousand three. Sorry, I said ninety nine. It was two thousand three. It was after nine eleven. It's two thousand and three. And, uh, and, and the, school, the school had substantial damage, $100,000 worth of damage. Is not, uh, it's not anything you want to sneeze at. It's a lot of money. And uh, the Justice Minister of Canada at the time, uh, Professor Erwin Kotler, was debating. There was a big debate. Was this terrorism or was this arson? This was the big debate at the time. So, so you see, this problem doesn't go back. This problem goes doesn't go isn't new. It goes back quite a while. And, and the big debate was: was it arson or was it terrorism? This was what he asked. This is the question he asked. And and the definition of terrorism in Canada, the legislation that he drew up and he passed in Canada, clearly stated this was an act of terrorism because the 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 person who threw the the, the Molotov cocktail through the window or the firebomb through the window uh, also left a note saying that he did it in retaliation for some political action uh, that, that Israel took against, um, against the Hamas leader. So if you commit an act of violence on a, on, a, on, a, on a recognizable building, on a Jewish building, 
and you leave a note saying that this was done for political reasons, that is the exact definition of terrorism that the Canadian government outlined when they passed their terrorism legislation. But Aaron Kotler hummed any hod because politics comes before anything else in, in countries like Canada and the United States. And re-election comes before anyone else, before anything else in Canada and the United States. And, and Muslims hold a, a huge, a huge percentage of the population of Montreal. And this is where he was elected. And in his writing, there was a whole segment of his writing that was Muslim. And so he had to be careful on how he handled this. And so he tried the fire bomber, not under Canada's brand new legislation for terrorism at the time. They would have been, he would have been the first, um, the first terrorist who would be tried under that. Oh, by the way, he tried to flee. The terrorist tried to flee before he was caught. His mother was trying to help him get out of the country. And they caught him before he left. They tried him as an arsonist. So he got 10 years and then was released from prison. Had they tried him as a terrorist, they would have been sending the message that terrorism is not accepted in the country. So not long after the firebombing of the United Tomatoras in, in, in 2003, there was a firebomb, there was a bombing at, at the Jewish Y. And then there were bombings elsewhere and attacks on Jews, and attacks on Jews on campus. Because when you show weakness, when you show that that there is no support for the community, when you show that you are afraid, then the haters come and get you. That's what they look for. They look for your weaknesses and they exploit them. They try to exploit weaknesses. So if you show that you're weak, it's like a schoolyard bully. If you show that you're weak and you cower in the corner when the bully comes at you, that bully's going to come after you time and time and time again. That bully's never going to stop coming at you. And the reason the bully's never going to stop coming at you is because it's fun. The bully realizes that he's getting a reaction. He realizes that he could win the fight. And if he wins the fight, he feels better about himself. And so he keeps attacking the same people over and over again. And thus is the story of the Jewish people. The state of Israel should be our rallying cry. It should be the, the country that's, uh, it should be the, the, the focal point where we say, listen, we were murdered in Europe. For four years or five years, they murdered us in Europe. They destroyed a third of our population. Yet we're still alive. We survived it. We're not victims. We're victors. We won the war. We are still here. And the proof that we're still here is the state of Israel. Now, the state of Israel wasn't created as a result of the Holocaust. It was not created as, as a compensation piece for the Holocaust. But it should serve as a symbol that we are not going to be destroyed and that we are not going to sit back idly and, and take abuse from anybody. This should be the symbol of our strength. It should be the symbol of, of the phoenix rising from the ashes, of our rebirth. We were murdered and we were reborn in the state of Israel. And the funny part about it is that Jews really don't get this. That, that you know, if, you, if, you make, if, I, if I told this to a group of Jews, if I stood in front of a group of Jews and I, told, and I said exactly what I just said, 
They would look at me as if I came from Mars. The only people who actually understand this and actually believe this and actually act upon this are the evangelical Christians. But they have a second goal in, in mind when they, when they support Israel. And their second goal in mind is quite simple. The book of Revelation says that once you gather all the Jews into Israel, Jesus will come back and he will reveal himself to the, to the, to the Jews and to the non-Jews and to everybody who lives in Israel. And then the, the people who are living there will have to either accept him as the Messiah or they will be condemned to hell for eternity. So that means that Jesus is not coming back in their book until all the Jews return to, to the state of Israel. So, so the Jews have to return to the state of Israel so Armageddon could happen. And that's, that's, really, that's really what it comes down to. And then the Jews will see the truth and they will accept Jesus as their God. And, uh, and those that don't will burn in hell for eternity. That's the book of Revelations. In a nutshell. There's a little more to it than that, but that, that's pretty much the, uh, the concept in a nutshell. So, so, so what, what, what you're basically saying here is the evangelicals, who, who a lot of Jews support, they say, oh, look, the evangelicals, they support Israel. We should support them. They're very pro-Israel. Of course they are. They want us to go back there so we can all die when we don't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And they're trying to save our souls by, by, by exposing us to Jesus. And the only way they can do that is to bring us there. Once you understand it, you understand how, how, um, how ludicrously funny it is that we don't that we don't um, we don't recognize this and we don't we don't shun the evangelicals. It's uh, it's it's very um, it's very weird that the Jewish community as a whole embraces in evangelical Christians and embraces Christian in, embraces Christians at all. They spend centuries trying to destroy us. So I I, I just don't know. The idea that Israel is blood money for the Jews is repulsive. It's absolutely repulsive because it's not true. The state of Israel, now, now people don't even know this. And this is the problem with us teaching history of J Jewish history in, in schools. They never teach the real Jewish history. I taught Jewish history in school, and I taught, I taught everything I talked about in the show. I always, I always taught to my students, and they replaced me. I, I taught it for a few years, and then they said, you can't teach. You, you're too right-wing. We don't want this kind of politics sold in the school. And I said, mm, okay, I, I, I'm not selling politics. I'm selling truth. And they said, yeah, sure you are. Okay. And, and the guy they replaced me with, who, who is now a darling of the Federation movements, ooh, he is... He is the, uh, the golden child of Federation, given the plush job and uh, the $100,000 salary. And that's fine. I'm not jealous of him. I really couldn't care less. He, re he replaced me, and, uh, and the first class that he replaced me in, I always, taught, I always taught it right down the middle. I said, listen, you know, the Jews have a historic claim to the state of Israel, and, uh, and archaeology and, uh, and history is on the Jewish side, that, that the state of Israel and the land of Israel belongs to the Jewish people. And, and, and history tells us that the state of Palestine never existed. Uh, there's never been a, a, another state on that land, aside from a Jewish state, in, in, in 2,000 years. So, so the land belongs to the Jews. 
And I said, okay. And then there's always inevitably a kid who will yell out, well, you know, the law, international law. And I'd say, international law, let's talk about international law. Because nobody ever talks about international law. The only time they talk about international law is Israel's violating UN Security Resolution 242 or Israel's uh, denying Palestinians human rights. This is the only time that's, that international law is ever spoken about in the context of Israel. But if we want to look at international law, let's take a look at it. And, and we see that uh, in, 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 uh, just after World War I, the League of Nations had the San Remo Conference where it was decided that the Jews, this is after World War One, not after World War Two, that the Jews should um, should have a homeland. This is after all the Zionist Congresses and and uh, Theodore Herzl and all these people were pushing for uh, for Jewish autonomy. After the Dreyfus trial in in France, uh, Herzl felt that Jews can't live in the diaspora anymore. He he wasn't wrong, um, and and he pushed to have a Jewish state anywhere. He didn't care where it was; just Jews needed to be autonomous. They had to have a stake where Jews ran. And, and so they, um, so the San Remo Conference said, okay, we are going to create a Jewish state. And what we are going to do is we are going to, um, we are going to give the British the mandate to create this Jewish state. And the British will have a mandate in Palestine, the mandate of Palestine, and the mandate of Palestine is to facilitate the creation of a Jewish state. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Creation of a Jewish state. The British had other ideas. You see, during World War One, the British had uh, had worked with the with the um, with with the Arabs to defeat the enemies, mostly the Turks. And they had made alliances with the Arabs, and they had made promises to the Arabs. So when they were given the state of Pal- they, were, they were given the mandate of Palestine, a huge chunk of land, land that was part of land that is currently part of Syria and uh, and all of Jordan, and what the current state of Israel looks like. They said, "Oh, we're going to slice and dice this." They 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 actually had a a deal with the Hashemite kingdom that they would give them land because they had to. And that's what happened. They sliced and diced. And they basically stole the land from the Jewish people and gave it to other people. The British were not very good to the Jews. And so the the mandate of Palestine, where everyone says, international law, you stole their land, was actually created by the League of Nations to facilitate the creation of a Jewish state. Now, the League of Nations fell apart just after World War I. It fell apart. But when the United Nations was created after World War II, what they did was they adopted all the resolutions of the League of Nations, which means that the resolution calling for the creation of a Jewish state in the Mandate of Palestine and the creation of the Mandate of Palestine to facilitate the creation of a Jewish state were all adopted by the United Nations. Which means according to international law, which is the resolutions of the United Nations, the mandate of Palestine was there to create a Jewish state. The Jewish state was created in a portion of the mandate of Palestine 
about 33% of it, which means that the other 77% of the mandate of Palestine, which legally is Jewish land, is now occupied territory. It's occupied by the Arabs. And it should be returned to its rightful owner, the Jews. It's, it's just mind-blowing that Jewish organizations that pertain to be pro-Israel and pertain to be Hasbara organizations, organizations fighting for the state of Israel, organizations are so busy, they're, they're just so busy trying to legitimize the existence of the state of Israel and, and the existence of Jews, and so busy trying to play into politics and getting lost in the weeds of the, of the lies that were put together by the, by, by the Arab propagandists, that they forget the simple facts. The simple facts are that international law is 100% behind the Jewish people because the Mandate of Palestine was originally created to facilitate the creation of a Jewish state in that land. Now that 77% of that land was given away to, to Arabs, to the Hashemites, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, the Hashemite kingdom of Iran, the Hashemite kingdom of Iraq, Syria, because most of the land was given away to, 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 an Arab, to, to Arab kingdoms, doesn't change the fact that that land should have been Jewish land, that that land is international law, says that land is Jewish land. And why Jews and Jewish organizations don't make this argument more often is beyond me guess it's probably the same reason that Israel is still a member of the United Nations. They shouldn't be, but they're still a member of the United Nations. I have no idea why they're doing that either. It doesn't make any sense to me either, but they, they, they still are. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing. It's really mind-blowing when you think about it. How much the Jewish community has been, excuse the expression, screwed by the rest of the world. And yet there are still people out there who, are, who argue with me all the time that we have to trust the governments of the lands we live in. How? How do you trust a government that condemns the state of Israel? I live in Canada. How do I trust a government that condemns the state of Israel for pulling terrorists out of a mosque, terrorists who planned on attacking Jews on the first day of Passover? How in the world... Do you trust a government like that? one 877 is the number to call if you want to talk to me. Feel free to call in. one 877 How do you trust a government like that? How could you say trust the governments of the land you live in when you know that the government is actively working against you and against your people? The government is act- actively supporting people who try to kill your people who try to murder your people, who are advocating genocide against your people. How do you trust them? And then you have to think even, even, a, even, a, even a second longer. And you realize that it's not only the government, but there are many Jews out there who want to destroy the state of Israel. Who want to who, want to, who, want to, who say that the Jews living in the state of Israel stole their land, stole 
land from the Arabs. What a fallacy. But there are Jews out there who believe this. <laughs> and it's quite sad that, that there are people who are working against their people. People who are working with the enemy, with the people who want to destroy, who want to commit a genocide against their people. They don't even realize it. It's like the Germans in, in Nazi Germany who said, I'm more German than I am Jewish. Why are the Nazis bothering me? It's like those people who are totally clueless. And, and, and there are many people out there who are totally clueless. If there's one lesson we should learn from the Nazis and one positive lesson and one lesson that, that, that we should take with us everywhere we go, you are a Jew and you will always be a Jew and Judaism is different from everybody else, your lifestyle is different, you are different and nobody sees you as everyone else. Nobody sees a Jew as a regular white person. Nobody sees a Jew as a regular person in society. Jews are different and they're treated different. And until we recognize the fact that we are different and that we are unique and that we have a unique goal and we have a unique, we have a unique mission in the world, until the Jewish community realizes this, we will continuously be oppressed. Realizing this fact here gives us strength. It is our strength. It's our only strength. It's the only, it's the only thing we have. It's, it's, it's the spinach that Popeye ate to make him strong. When people tell me that, that they have a Jewish identity, but they're not really Jewish, I, I don't follow Judaism, I have a Jewish identity, it doesn't mean anything. What's a Jewish identity? How do you have a Jewish identity if you don't have Judaism behind you? It seems ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I'm a Jewish atheist. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help but laugh. When someone says I'm a Jewish atheist, it, it cracks me up. I laugh. And I laugh in their face. I know you're not supposed to insult people. You're not supposed to be mean like that. But I laugh in their face. And I say to them, how could you be a Jewish atheist? The, the premise of Judaism is the belief in a God. It's monotheism. One God. You believe in it. If you don't believe in that one God, you've, set, you, you've removed yourself from Judaism. You can't be a Jew. It's impossible to be a Jew. And then the guy says to me, well, Howie, of course I'm Jewish. My mother was Jewish. And at that point, I have to take a deep breath. Take a deep breath at that point. Because the concept that, that, that the person's mother was Jewish, makes him Jewish, is a Jewish concept that comes from the Torah. The Torah is written by God. If you don't believe that God existed, then you don't believe that the Torah is written by God, then the rules of the Torah and the laws of the Torah and the lifestyle given to the Jews in the Torah are completely irrelevant. They, they don't mean anything because they were written by man then. So if that's the case, then who cares if your mother was Jewish? How, how was it, how, how's that relevant? That's the world we live in. Uneducated, not caring about religion, not caring about the truth, not caring about history. I, I work in a school. 
if I told you how many weeks, how many times kids come up a week and tell me and ask me the question or tell me that there's no point in learning history or why do we have to learn history, they just don't understand that if you don't remember history, if you don't understand how you got to where you are, if you don't understand who your ancestors were and who your people were, And there's no way for you to continue and live and carry on the traditions of your people. It's impossible. And that's why we learn history. And that's why we teach history. Because we live in countries and we have to understand the nature of the country and why things around us are happening. Because if we don't, then we are bound to... We are bound to... Um, to, to, to be oppressed we are bound to miss the rise of a totalitarian regime that would be terrible I want to thank you for joining me tonight I will uh, see you again the next time I get on I'm Howie Silberger this is the Howie Silberger show right here on the True Talk Radio Network you could always reach me by email, howie at truetalkradio.com. You could join the Facebook group, because the Facebook group is always there, so feel free to join the Facebook group, the Howie Silberger Show. There's a Facebook group, and there is a Facebook page. Like the page, join the group. And until next time, I bid you a good night. <laughs>